Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I believe with every fiber of my being that the course I have set out is the right one for our country and all our people. What has been achieved today is not Brexit. I don't believe this government has negotiated fairly or effectively. Brexit is a lose-lose situation. We have always followed the EU mandate. It is utterly unacceptable to anybody who believes in democracy. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Brexit The Final Countdown, your weekly guide to the votes, deals and WhatsApp groups that matter as we hurtle towards March or at least the 21st of January. This week we are joined by two titans of industry, prominent Leave campaigner and businessman Richard Tice and Salmon Tycoon and published author Lance Foreman. Thank you both for being here. Also in the group chat is Lobby Insider Martin Brown and on the phone is Joe Barnes. Hello. And whenever there are four men in a room talking about Brexit, there should always be at least one bloody difficult woman. And that's me, Rebecca Hudson. So let's begin the countdown with everything we've got. This whole episode was supposed to be about analysing the fallout of the Prime Minister losing her meaningful vote. Then it was supposed to be about her not having a meaningful vote. And now we're having one where we are having a vote, but it's sadly a no confidence vote. So Martin, in fact, the whole floor, how did it all go so wrong? Enlighten me and Chrissy Teigen, who was tweeting this morning about not understanding UK politics. Well, if I may, I'm going to rewind the clock back to the uh, uh, snap election that Theresa May called. Um, For me, that's where it started to go wrong. She, She lost... A majority in the House then and her ability to, to govern properly. Um, there's been a number of things in the last 18 months. Um, she had a, a botched cabinet reshuffle in January last year where she brought in a lot of inexperienced uh, ministers um, which I think is paying dividends now. Um, her, her, whipping, um, her whipping strategy at the moment is not working very well and that was a res- you can trace that back to the reshuffle in January last year. Then there was Checkers, which was totally blown out of the water. Um, since then, she's had lots of uh, cabinet resignations, high prof- very high profile ones, Boris, David Davis, Dominic Raab, and the like. And then the deal that nobody wants, uh, which she's agreed with Brussels um, and but nobody in her party seems to want it. And that's why, why we, we were supposed to have the vote this week. And then uh, in the light of um, knowing that she wouldn't get it through and she would absolutely be caned um, in Parliament, she, um, she withdrew it. And now, as a result, last night and through this morning, she's been faced with this uh, no-confidence vote. It's extraordinary, isn't it? I mean, it's such a catalogue of disasters. You couldn't actually be that incompetent unless some of it was deliberate. Actually, Martin, I think it goes further back than uh, than, than where, where you said uh, the date of the election. It actually goes back to when she served Article 50 back in March 17. Because at that moment, her cabinet should have been absolutely clear what was Plan A and what's Plan B. At that time, she hadn't agreed a plan A with the cabinet. 
and she had no plan B. And in our view on the Brexit side, negligently, uh, the Cabinet deliberately wouldn't entertain a plan B. So if you have a situation where the Brexit Secretary starts the negotiations uh, in July 17, and the very day before he started, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, Philip Hammond, said no deal would be a very, very bad outcome. What an appalling way to start a negotiation where the other side immediately knew you're not prepared to walk away. And we in business, we know if you're not prepared to walk away, you end up with a bad deal. What he should have said then is, we're quite prepared to go to world trade rules. That's a base case, absolutely fine. We'll be ready for it. Uh, We're completely confident about it. There's huge opportunities. If we can get a simple free trade deal along the lights of what Canada have got, that's even better. But we're very happy with a, a world trade deal. That would have completely reset the whole agenda. That's where it went wrong. And ever since then, it's just gone from bad to worse to disastrous. Um, I, I, I'm more of a long-term player, Richard. And um, I think it goes back much further than that, actually. I, I think it goes back to the day she put her name in the hat to become prime minister. And I remember being interviewed um, on another channel on that very morning. It was the day after David Cameron resigned and she had put her hat into the ring. Um, I don't think Boris and Michael Gove had at that stage. And um, I was asked, who do you think should be prime minister? And I didn't really want to commit to either Boris or Michael Gove at that moment. But I said, look, I don't know who should be prime minister, but I can tell you who shouldn't be prime minister. And it shouldn't be Theresa May. And they said, well, why not? And I said, well, there are two reasons. First of all, she was silent throughout the entire referendum campaign. And if you want to be a leader, you can't be silent. You have to say what you think and try and carry people with you. But she was silent. And that's cowardly. That's not leadership. And the second thing is, uh, and I said, and people are now saying it, you have to believe in this thing. You know, you cannot do this thing if you don't believe in it. And, you know, in my own business, if I, if I had a project that I needed somebody to do, I would not take on a person that fundamentally didn't believe in the project because, A, they wouldn't do a very good job, and, B, when it does go horribly wrong, they'd say, oh, told you, Mr. Foreman, it was never going to work. You have to have somebody that believes in it, and I think that is the fundamental issue here. She never believed in it. She couldn't see the great opportunity, and this is an amazing opportunity for our country she just completely missed that and just took the whole thing very defensively and so she was never going to get a great deal okay. so who who would who would your ideal who would it have been if not teresa well, I don't, to be honest, I don't think it really matters. It just needs to be somebody that believes in it. And they all have their different styles and different ways of doing it. And yes, Boris is a great showman and he has the ability to lift people's spirits. You know, he, he, is, he he's very charismatic. Yeah, of course, look, everybody has their strengths and their weaknesses. And he, of course he has weaknesses. But is his weakness not that he pretended to be a Brexiteer to try and become Prime Minister and uh, no, messed it up? No, absolutely not. No, absolutely not. I mean, but Boris, I've, I've known Boris for quite some time, actually. Uh, we, we first got to know each other when... Um, my business was being compulsory acquired by the Olympics and I became an enemy of Ken Livingstone I've at the time. i read your book, yeah. Absolutely. And, and of course, Boris was standing for mayor at the time. So what, what I've learned about Boris is that he's a very considered person. He does take his time to, to make up his mind and he you know, thinks both sides very carefully. And people often misread that and, you know, saying that he's deceptive. He sort of, you know, swings both ways, if, if you like. Um, <laughs> but he, he doesn't. He, you know, he takes his time. And then once he comes to a decision, he sticks that decision. Um, you know, he would be good. I think Dominic Raab would be, uh, you know, also uh, you know, a very strong leader. Um, and, you know, these people believe in it. You, you, you have to believe. And, and 
the EU are not going to deal with people, you know, you're not going to get a good deal out of them unless you, you believe. Because as Richard said, you have to be prepared to walk away and they have to believe you're prepared to walk away. And the EU need, they don't want no deal. You know, I'm not talking about no deal. They don't want no deal. It's actually worse for them than it is for us because they sell a hell of a lot more to us than we do to them. But, but we're the ones who are going to have like dead bodies on the streets and using oh, Kent, on, aren't we? And we're going to be running out of insulin. That's us, not them. Isn't we it? heard all this stuff with the millennium bug. We heard all Project Fear round one back in uh, 2016. And it's, it's interesting, isn't it? All the same characters who came up with those absurd, you know, sort of scaremongering back then. The CBI, the Bank of England, the unpredictable boyfriend of the governor. You know, I mean, honestly, who would want to go on a date with him? <laughs> Um, you know, we had all of this stuff, and actually, they were completely and utterly wrong, time after time after time. So why would anybody listen to bad forecasters again? Listen to the people who've got a good track record of forecasting. And, and actually, do you know what? Let's be positive. Let's believe in ourselves. Let's remember. Let's remember just actually, you know, who we are, how good we are. We're British. Where's that enthusiastic, optimistic, optimistic British bulldog spirit? We can do this stuff. Okay, so you think going in with a bulldog spirit would have come back with what? Like, what did you dislike about her deal so much? Was it the backstop? Was it the 35 billion without the There was, there was literally the zero that I liked about It was about an freedom of deal. movement, which was an important factor you, for lots of people who voted. Don't fall for that contract, because that is just a, that is part of the political declaration. It's not legally binding. And by the time this has been negotiated through, that will be gone, like everything else. Why would you ever agree a deal where you agree to pay 39 billion quid for nothing in return. We in business, you only ever agree to pay something for something in return. It's absolutely extraordinary. There's no linkage whatsoever. One of the things you learn in business is that you should never put all your eggs in one basket. And it's much better to spread your business around and make sure you haven't got one, you know, because if, if you lose that one big customer, your business really suffers. And when people talk about no deal, what they really mean is many deals. Because if we do no deal with the EU, it actually means we can do many deals with countries all over the world. Whereas at the moment, we have one big deal with the EU, and checkers would mean one big deal with the EU, but then we can't do deals with anyone else. We're putting all our eggs in one basket. It's very risky, and it's particularly risky when you have a customer that's actually not doing very well at the moment. You know, the EU economy is you know is shrinking as, as a percentage of world trade. Outside of the EU, you have you know, global economy is growing very fast in China and the Far East and so on. And uh, we're, we're crazy to put all our eggs in one basket. It's much more sensible to spread them around and, uh, you know, and, and do free trade deals with the USA, India, China, Japan, Australia, New Zealand, you know, and still trade. You know, we can still trade with the EU. I think people misunderstand, you know, if you don't have a trade deal, you can't trade. Well, that's nonsense. We still trade with the USA at the moment. In fact, we do more trade with the USA than any other country in Europe, but we don't have a trade deal with them. So a trade deal is good. It's the icing on the cake, but it's not the cake itself. You can still trade, but let's get a bit more icing. Let's get more icing all over the world. (laughs) We love icing. It's delicious. We We do love icing. Joe, what do you think? I can hear you muttering away. (laughs) (laughs) What I I want to say to you you both, you're both uh, prominent business people, Um, Are you comfortable with the no-deal preparations that Britain has made so far? Because you could say it's all well and good crashing out on no-deal or having this managed no-deal. Would you be comfortable with a no-deal scenario for your business? Look, let's remember, less than 10% of UK businesses export to the European Union. For over 90%, 
makes absolutely zero difference. Let's also remember the only certainty over the last two years has been that actually uh, we might go to world trade rules. So businesses that do export should have already been preparing for that plan B scenario of a world trade deal. Well, my business does export and we export to the EU. And we export outside the EU. So we do export to the USA and to um, to China and many other countries around the world. And there's not a huge difference between one or the other. Yes, if you're going to Italy, let's say, you send the goods in, you send an invoice, you send a packing list, and you send, in our case, the smoked salmon. When we ship it to America, we do exactly the same thing, except we fill in an online form on the computer, which takes about 15 seconds to fill in. That is it. That is the friction that everyone's so worried about. You know, you don't mind this if you're going to get the business. Who cares? Another 15 seconds to fill in another form. That's all it is. You know, we're not, you know, people are talking, you know, they don't understand, you know, when they're told, oh, it's going to be, you know, there's going to be lots of friction and it's going to be bad for business. It's really not a big deal. You know, that the real friction for business is not those those 5 10% of exporters that trade with the EU the really big friction is the 90 to 95% of businesses in the UK that have suffered EU regulations over 40 years when they have no need to trade with the EU businesses like you know hairdressers and greengrocers they don't trade with the EU but they still have to suffer every single EU regulation that comes along because that's what it means you know when you're in the single market and yet that's you know that is the real friction one of the reasons why we wanted to come out of the EU was we could remove ourselves from this. And it won't happen overnight. Of course it won't. It'll take time. But we want to remove ourselves from this just, con- you know, continual raft of regulations being pumped out of the EU, which is generally driven by big international firms that lobby the EU bureaucrats to put in these rules to protect their businesses. It's, a, it's really unfair competition. And that's a key opportunity is to start to deregulate, to get you know, to keep the smart regulations and get rid of the daft regulations because we don't need them. You know, it, it, look, keep it simple. Lance has just given a wonderful example, actually, of supposedly friction out there. You know, we need to start to deregulate because the opportunities for growth are so significant. And the problem with the, the Prime Minister's proposed deal is that we can't deregulate at all. This horrible sounding word, regulatory alignment, basically means the same rules forever. Oh, and by the way, we have no say in who makes those rules. Great, that sounds a really good deal. Okay, so you guys are obviously, you obviously know something that most of us don't because you are very pro crashing out. Um, no, no, you, but you mustn't use that language because it's simply not the case. But we we're haven't just got moving. anything in place. Uh, uh, yeah, so we'll come back to that. Look, we've started to put things in place because of Philip Hammond's negligence and refusal to actually release the money to do that. We've started too late. So yes, it's going to have to. They're going to have to. Guess what? People are going to have to work twenty-four-seven, seven days a week. There's nothing like a short deadline to focus the minds, concentrate the attention, and in business, that's how we get things done. And in journalism, I'm I'm not in favour of what you said is crashing out. What I'd say is no deal. I'm not in favour of it, but I have no fear of no deal. The best situation of all would be to have a free trade deal with the EU and a free trade deal with many many other countries around the world. However, in business. You learn when you negotiate not necessarily to ask for the thing you want. What you have to do is show that you're not afraid and you're perfectly well defended against the thing that threatens you. And then you get what you want. It emerges. And it emerges because common sense usually prevails. And so what we need to do as a country is we need to be completely, you know, completely prepared for no deal. We need to be able to say to the EU... 
If you don't want to do a deal with us, that's absolutely fine. We're very comfortable, you know, trading on WTO terms. And I guarantee you, three days before the deadline, they'll be banging on our door because they've done it with Canada and Japan. They're doing free trade deals with other people, so why not do one? Yeah, but with Canada us? took seven years. Yes, but it, it would do <laughs> because yeah, because they did. They had different rules, but we have identical rules to them at the moment. And you know, if we're doing zero tariffs, you know, the tariffs can be set literally. With a click of the fingers. That's it. No tariffs. Um, so, you know, the deal could be done very, very quickly. But, you know, a few days beforehand, if they know that we're happy to come out on with no deal, they will want to do a free trade deal because otherwise there's a risk that all those German cars coming over here will face tariffs and they'll end up selling a lot fewer of them. So, um, you know, to get the free, trade deal, the free trade deal, you have to demonstrate that you're prepared to walk away. You see, what you've demonstrated... Uh, is that you've believed the nonsense that comes out of people like the CBI, who've come up with all this sort of flowery language like crashing out and catastrophe. You know, these are the people that didn't want Thatcher's reforms in the 80s. They didn't want us to leave the ERM in the 90s. They wanted us to join the Euro. And then they came up with Project Fear. These people have a track record of being woefully wrong, and they should be ignored. They were wrong then, they're wrong now, and they will continue to be wrong tomorrow. You're, you're kind of proposing to have this free trade agreement which is all well and good, but if you speak to anyone in Brussels, any of the big heavyweights, and they're very choreographed on this, the only deal, and only chance to do the deal, is to make sure that withdrawal agreement is signed with the backstop, with the transition period, or else nothing is possible. So would you happily go along with that if you could no, have something not, like not. the Canada++++, plus plus plus, Norway++++? Plus plus plus. So they, they, they you, would say that, wouldn't they? I mean, of yeah, course they're going to say they that. You, but, you can have that deal, but you've got to sign the withdrawal agreement. Look, it's 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 like, you know, it's like, it's no different to walking into a shop and saying you want to purchase something and you try and negotiate a price. And uh, it's only literally when you walk out the shop and you say, sorry, it's too expensive, that the guy comes back and says, oh, look, you know, come back, I'll, I'll try and do it a bit better. It's the same thing on, a, on an international scale. It's that the, 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 the basics of negotiation are identical. We have to show that we are prepared to walk away, and we should be prepared for that, obviously. Um, but we have to show that we're prepared to walk away because we know it is in their interest to do a free trade deal. But if they don't, that's fine too. We can walk away. Most countries in the world do not have a trade deal with the EU, and they seem to get on perfectly fine. And we can be one of those countries, fifth largest economy in the world. We'll be fine. Let's focus on the money, Joe. Who's got the money? We have. Who wants the money? The EU. And when it's put in those simple, uh, clear terms that they realise they're not going to get the money, and without our money, frankly, they are really struggling, then I think you'd find very quickly uh, the negotiating leverage would, would turn and uh, we would have a very different discussion. But that requires leadership, that requires belief in Britain, and that requires being quite prepared to go to a world trade deal. It's just a different type of arrangement. And the, the other thing I'd like to add is, you know, everyone seems to be afraid of, um, of leaving the EU. But just look at the EU now. Why would you even want to be part of it? Look at what's going on across the EU. You have extremism um, in Eastern Europe. You've got Germany that suddenly, you know, the, the economy is ground to a halt. Italy is in a complete mess, and they might even do, you know, the Italian exit before we get our one. Spain <laughs> has their own battles with Catalonia, and, you know, there's talks of potential splits there. You've got riots in France. There's going to be a strike in Belgium this week. Are we mad? You know, why are we trying to tie ourselves to this? It's absolutely crazy. You wouldn't put it on a holiday brochure, would you? Any of those scenarios? <laughs> <laughs> in 24 hours' time, there's another uh, European Council summit, and 
they don't want to be talking about Brexit. They want to be talking about Correct. all those problems that you've just mentioned in Europe. I think it, Italy was on the agenda. And, and, and they're they're actually, there actually is the opportunity, because not unreasonably, they're probably a bit bored of Brexit over there, as most of the country is over here. And actually, I think what they would really welcome is, do you know what, guys? Let's just agree, heads of terms, for a simple free trade deal. You know that when it's signed, you get your money. Meanwhile, we in Brussels, we need to focus on some of the other issues. That would work fine. But cu- coming back to the question of the referendum, I think where Theresa May has gone wrong is that she has tried to draw people together. You know, the public... Far better to divide them, no? Well, no, no. It's not a question of being better to divide them. That's, the, the point of the referendum was to take a decision on which way this country should go. The country was divided. Parliament was divided. For 30 years, we've been arguing about should we be more integrated or less integrated. And eventually, we came to the decision, there's only one way to solve this. Let's have a referendum. We had a referendum. We decided at that referendum that we're going to leave. But instead of Theresa May following that instruction, what she's tried to do, in all good faith, you know, fair enough, she's tried to draw people back together once again. And that's why it's causing all this pain. She should have just followed what the people had instructed her to do, which was to leave. And I'm sorry for the Remainers. There were a lot of Remainers. I think there were some in the room. there, There were, but, you know, we've had 43 years in the EU. So let's do 45 years outside the EU, just to balance it. Um, <laughs> and and, and it, actually, it's also really important to talk about the issue of Northern Ireland border and the backstop. This has all come about because the EU and Ireland have very cleverly used the issue of this border uh, basically as negotiating leverage. In our view, actually disgracefully, they've weaponized this issue. Let's be very clear, the current situation. There is a soft border there at the moment. And guess what, folks? There's a different currency across that border. There's a different VAT rate, a different excise rate, a different income tax, and a different uh, corporation tax. Five different things. So what's the issue about adding a sixth when you've already got five different things, which is different trade rules? There is no issue. I don't see any bombs or bullets there at the moment with those five different issues. So why should that make any difference with the six? And unfortunately, disgracefully, our own civil servants, they haven't put forward the sensible solutions by CLECAT, by the customs experts, even by the EU's own customs expert, because they wanted to try and find ways to block Brexit. That's what our civil service have done. That's one of the reasons we're in the shambles we are. Let's say the Prime Minister wins this vote tonight. Actually, so nothing's changed. She would still lose her current deal in Parliament. But her deal's dead now, isn't it? Well, so uh, her deal's dead. So why doesn't she then actually, realising the angst in the party, why doesn't she start to listen to people and to pivot to uh, a Canada-style deal? And why doesn't she say, do you know what, my negotiating team have failed. I need a new team with a new mandate to go in. And if she did that and put forward the sort of proposals that Lance and I have been talking about, she would be roared to the rafters by people up and down the country for someone who actually is going to bat for Britain, believe in Britain, and strike a proper deal, a business-like, focused deal. Yeah, I have to agree with that, Richard. I mean, if, if she, you know, if she does win tonight, and she then announces to the EU 
that we've been through this traumatic period. Nobody likes the deal in Britain. Her MPs don't like it. The public don't like it, even though the EU may like it, because, of course, it's hugely beneficial to them, of course. They don't like it either. is quite tempting. <laughs> They've it's, wrapped uh, us in a straitjacket and we've given them the key to the padlock. But, but, but you know, if she, said to, if she said to them, look, um, there's only one solution here and we're going to have to just walk away on WTO terms. There's no point in us having any further discussions with you now at all because we need to focus our time on being fully prepared for that. Goodbye. Have we got I time to prepare for WTO? We have got time, yeah. Look, if, you, if you're determined to do something, you'll do it, okay? Um, no necess- more Christmas. N- necess- well, cancel Christmas. This is more important than Christmas, quite frankly. This is far more important. This is our country we're talking about. If we have to work, you know, if MPs have to work on Christmas Day, so be it. We'll send them hampers to their homes. They can in- enjoy our smoked salmon. salmon to their- <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Hampers. That's fine. But, you know, sometimes you just have to do what it takes. And... Um, and I, I am convinced that if we are fully prepared for this, we will end up with a really good solution for Britain. But Theresa May has to commit. She can't keep going through her life trying to pull everybody together and trying to pull two irreconcilable sides together. She has to do what the people asked her to do, which is leave. And if some of the Remain MPs don't like it, well, I'm sorry, they're just going to have to just... They're, they'll have to go with but, it. But we didn't really vote on WTO rules, did we? No, the we, question, we you, didn't vote I, on a deal. What? We I voted think, on the concept of leaving. No, I think we did vote to, to leave without a deal. And the reason I say that is because David Cameron tried to do a deal. He went to Brussels. He came back with a useless deal. He then said to the people, this is the best I can do. Do you want to stay or do you want to go? And people said, let's go. So we were offered a deal and people said, don't worry about the deal. We want to go. They were happy to leave with no deal. But then when she came into power, she, she put the clock all the way back and said, oh, I'm going to try and do a deal. But that's not what it was about. And in fact, if you go back and you listen to David Cameron's words at the time, he said, this is not a neverendum. We're not going to have another referendum afterwards. He said, we are not. He said, once you have voted, we are not going to try and renegotiate another deal. He said that. And she's done exactly that. She's tried to renegotiate another deal and she didn't need to do it. All she needed to do was prepare to leave with no deal and a free trade deal would have emerged because it's in the EU's interests. Let's remember what was on the ballot paper. Leave and remain. And guess what? Leave does mean leave. It doesn't mean leave subject to the terms and conditions and come back in 12 or 24 months for you know further consent. Leave means leave. That was the clear mandate. And the parliamentarians, they should have said, right, we need to prepare on the basis we're going to a world trade deal because that's within our control. They didn't, and that's why we're in the pickle we're in. So now we're all a lot more, we're well, more well-versed on Brexit. Should we have another vote? Because we did it really well a couple of years ago, didn't we? What do you think about a people's referendum? You're preparing for one. What are you putting on the side of the bus? Look, well, we've actually already got the first bus. Have you? Yeah, we had great fun working out what to put on the side of the bus. I wanted to put save 39 billion um, but actually, believe it or not, I believe in democracy, and the team and the team outvoted for me. It would have been great. It would have been just, you know, why not? Why not be optimistic and bullish about numbers? That's what we in business generally are. <laughs> but no, we've got we've got a bus. We don't want a second referendum. It okay. would be an absolute travesty of belief in democracy. It'd be a total betrayal of trust. Millions of people voted last time because they were told by the government and the prime minister that the government would carry out the will of the people. They felt their vote counted. And what happens is, if you then do that and say, oh, I'm terribly sorry, 
young man, old chap, um, you were too stupid, you were too thick, you were too old, uh, you voted the wrong way, um, it was only advisory. Actually, guess what happens then? Either people don't vote or they go to extreme parties. A second vote would be, it would be a total betrayal, uh, it would be brutal, it would be a horrible process. I mean, if you think the first one was bad, I'm afraid we haven't seen anything compared to what the second one would look like. And also it doesn't solve anything. You know, I actually think if there was one, I think Leave would win again, and I think we they'd win by a larger margin. What would you want on the ballot? What would be on the ballot for the second referendum? Well, I, look, I don't. I, I actually, I mean, again, six months ago, I was saying there should be a second referendum, but the referendum shouldn't be on whether we leave or stay. It should be on how we leave, because we've done the referendum on whether we leave or stay, and we've decided to leave. And the gridlock is not about leaving or staying. It's on about. It's about how we leave. And what we could have done then, it's too late now. But what we could have done is we could have said, "You've got two choices: we either leave with no deal." Or we leave with the very best deal that the EU is prepared to negotiate with us, and that deal will be subject to the vote of the British people. Now, if the EU knew that the British people were going to have to sign it off, they would have given us a much better deal than we've got at the moment, because otherwise they would have known they would have ended up with no deal. But sadly, I think we are too late for that. But that, you know, that, that could have been a strategy six months ago, but uh, you know, we're, we're not in that place. Well, the question could not now be Remain or the Prime Minister's current deal. You know, we leavers, we would all boycott that. That's not a genuine choice. Uh, the question, you know, if there is one, then, and, and if the question was just leave and go to WTO or remain, we would definitely win. No doubt about that. But it would be it would be horrendous for belief in democracy in this country. What about a vote on the deal, my, my deal, as in Theresa May's deal or no deal? Well, I think if there was a vote on the two, I think Theresa May's deal would fail as well. I mean, you know, none of the MPs want it. <laughs> they were pro-Brexit. Uh, they were pro-Remain. They don't want it. They're, you know, there's nobody that wants Theresa May's deal. And you know what? If there was a secret ballot, I don't even think Theresa May herself would vote for it. It's such a, <laughs> it's such a ridiculous that be, deal. That, 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 that as a uh, Donald Tusk probably would, but that's a... <laughs> we, would win, we would win 80-20. It would be a complete walkover. That's how bad a deal it is. We know. We we. we spoken about the deal and how and how kind of terrible it is but my my fear now is and I, i've had this feeling from since since last tuesday um that we're closer to a second referendum we've ever been before because there's no parliamentary majority for anything is there a consensus on that do you think we're closer than we ever were in the we're, room I, I i agree yeah i agree we're closer than we were two weeks ago we're all agreeing so i was going to put put this to you would you would you take a re- second referendum if it is to basically take parliament out of the equation because there, there is no, no, no deal is kind of off the table now, and there's not a majority for no deal because the ECJ says we can unilaterally revoke Article 50 and take that out of the equation. So that kind of accidental no deal threat doesn't exist anymore. So we need to come up with some sort of tactic which is going to kind of undo the logjam between Theresa May's deal because even if she gets concessions from Brussels, she's going to come back and it will probably get voted down. In which case, in which case, let's remember that the legal basis is that we leave on the 29th of March and Parliament can pass all the motions it wants. It cannot force the executive, i.e. the government, uh, to, uh, to change that. It's only when, if the government decides to change the legislation, the 2018 Withdrawal Act. So actually, we could just carry on through and we leave on March the 29th. Or could we just extend Article 50 for a little bit why and prepare for no why would, Just why so that we're really to... ready for this no deal that's going to be the best thing that's happened to us since we joined. But as I, as I said earlier, 
Actually, there's nothing like a short deadline to concentrate their minds. Let's work 24-7. Let's go for it. I think you have a higher opinion of... No, I, no, I totally agree. And I'll tell, you, I'll tell you why I agree with Richard. Because, as, as you know, um, I, I was uh, involved in this huge battle around the time of the Olympics. The best thing about the Olympic Games was that it had a fixed deadline. You couldn't have the 2012 Games in 2013. So it really focused the minds on getting stuff done. <laughs> Otherwise, you end up with things like the third oh run where Heathrow, which goes on for 40 years, and Cross we're still rails. talking about it. It. You know, right. you have to you have to have a fixed deadline, and um, and when you do, it really does focus the mind. And you'd be amazed how quickly people can actually get things done when they need to. Can we focus our minds on this evening? Is she going to win this vote? I think it'll be very close. Uh, as we sit here at the moment, it looks as though she may have more numbers, but also even if she wins by a few. Should she stay or should she go? You know, she will have lost basically, uh, you know, lost a huge chunk of the party, of her moral support. If she wins tonight, she can be left alone for a year. Is that right? There can't be another... No, she can't. So it can't she, be a challenge. Yeah, so she months. could. we could have her for another year. I'd read earlier today that she has, or she's going to announce, or thinking of announcing, or has announced already, I don't know, that she won't be standing in the next, next election. election. Which is 2022. But if she's not going to stand in the next election, why wait? You know, it does. There's no point in hanging <laughs> she's about. She's got a pressing deadline that she's focused on. Well, what, there's Christmas? no point. Look, Stop. if she's not going to be, you know, you, why not have the prime minister that's actually going to deliver the solution standing at the next election? And you know, to me, you know, from my perspective, there's no, you know, if she if she's saying I'm not going to carry on, I think the quicker we move on and find a leader that believes in it and believes in Britain, I think, you know, I think we and, should... And actually what we want, you know, we want some fresh, new vision. I believe that the country's looking for, for something a bit new. And in terms of some of the candidates out there, you know, actually, you know, Boris really, he had his chance and he blew it. He has got a fresh haircut. The reality is that David Davis and Boris, uh, they believe in Brexit. But, you know, the, I think the country probably sees them as yesterday's men, whereas actually the, the other cabinet members who resigned, for example... Dominic Raab, Esther McVeigh, they are very much part of the... Esther for PM. uh, You know, part of the future. You know, Esther has got a great backstory. (laughs) And, you know, she would be... I think she, you know, could win over a lot of people in the middle of the road to the Conservative Party. Um, So, you know, there's huge opportunities out there. We've got to look forward. Who, who would you rate? I'm not so convinced about Esther McVeigh. I, I agree she's got a good backstory. And she's, you messed up on Sunday, you know, when she, she thought we did. could... Yeah, I mean, that was embarrassing when she said that we could, we'd have two years of a transition to prepare for no deal. No, there's no mess up on that. Let's be very clear. What she said was, <laughs> she said that she would pay half now, okay? Uh, which in, you liked, which right, you agree which, with. Which we agree with, yep. uh, in order to have a smooth transition. And then at the end of the transition, if we've already signed the deal... By the end of 19, they get the other half. If not, we're ready to go to WTO. That is a completely sensible middle-of-the-road solution. We do pay the money every six months. We don't pay a 39 billion lump sum. We pay half then, half in a year. So that actually does... Yeah, but, but, no, no, but Joe, Joe it's hands. a different deal and we're <laughs> obligated to pay that money. Under, under what Esther proposed on Sunday, they only get the second half if we've signed a free trade deal within 12 months. Good common business sense. I like that. Just going back, actually, I just I think for clarity, I, I don't think Theresa May said that she's going to quit. I think it might be a carrot that she'll dangle. She, at five o'clock tonight, she's going to the 1922 committee um, an hour before this confidence vote. And she will meet MPs. She'll face her backbenchers, powerful committee. And potentially she could dangle the carrot of, if you vote for me, I 
won't stay on forever and ever. I'll go and that might mean, she won't give a date, but that might mean any time between March the 30th and perhaps the summer. That's a, it's a pretty odd carrot because if they, don't vote, if they don't vote for her, then she goes straight away. So I'm not quite sure how that, I'm not quite sure how that carrot goes, really. I think most people have lost uh, the ability to trust her and what she says and what she actually does. Well, yeah, after withdrawing the vote. Yeah. I mean, I, I do agree with uh, Richard. I think Dominic Raab would be an excellent candidate. We don't know a huge amount about him, but he is, you know, he's uh, he obviously has principles because, you know, he, he resigned. About um, a deal that he was responsible for negotiating. Um, well, not Truth he wasn't. Sadly, he, he was, wasn't. Un- he was undermined. <laughs> you know, he was undermined. Was completely undermined the, the by Robinson. Pri- yeah, the prime minister ran the whole thing. But you know, he he he's very eloquent. He's very intelligent. Um, he presents an arguments and discussions very uh, you know very well. So I think he'd be good from that perspective. But I, but I do have to say, I you know I think that Boris also does have the ability to inspire people. And you have to look at his record. You know, he was voted twice as London mayor in a Labour city against a populist mayor and he won. He joined the Vote Leave campaign when everybody thought that Leave was going to lose and he won it. He is a vote winner. People do like him. Yes, some people think he's a bumbling oaf and so on and so forth but he he, he, you know, he, he is very charismatic and he does have the ability to inspire and lead and that's what our country needs right now. People need to feel positive about Brexit because it is the best opportunity our country has had in 40 years. It's a fantastic opportunity and you want somebody that can really believe in that. If you cut Boris, he doesn't bleed, bleed Brexit, though, does he? He bleeds Boris. No, I... I, I like a little self-serving. No, I, I, I... Well, look, you could say that Theresa May's self-serving. She certainly is. Well, I, the well, boat, you the know, boat was about looking after again, you know, if, if, if I ask you, if I ask you, you know, if I said there's a job here and you looked at the job and you didn't believe in anything you were asked to do, would you even put yourself forward for that job? Of course you wouldn't. No person in their right mind would. It would depend but, on the salary, but they don't earn well, very no, much, you, do they? I mean, you know, most people wouldn't do it. And Theresa May put herself forward for this job when she fundamentally did not believe in what she was being asked to do. And that is very self-serving. Um, and, you know, you have to be nakedly ambitious to, to do that. So it's all very well saying Boris is ambitious. There's nothing wrong with being ambitious. Ambitious is great. He's ambitious for the country too. He's a real believer in Britain. And yes, he believes in himself too, but I don't think that's a bad thing. Well, was he ambitious as foreign sec? I thought he was pretty embarrassing on the... Um, look, I, I think that it was very difficult working with Theresa May because I think, well, look, you know, look at the way she ran her manifesto in the last election. She never even discussed it with her cabinet ministers. That's not how you draw up a manifesto. You should send out the departmental, uh, you know, uh, manifesto commitments to all departments, get the feedback from those ministers, and then collectively, you know, you put forward a plan. She never even showed her colleagues what she was planning to do. And um, I, I just think that he was undermined, David Davis was undermined, Dominic Raab was undermined. You know, a difficult woman to work for, I think. I think that's a good point. The Going back to your very first question, where did it all go wrong? Another thing we didn't really touch on was her, her leadership style. And um, she's not inclusive. She's just ploughing ahead with her her vision, which can be admirable in some ways. But I think David Cameron, he would always draw other people in and he was had a kind of broader view of things, whereas Theresa May is just ploughing ahead, ploughing ahead with this deal that nobody was backing and she couldn't see it. Until I mean, right I think you've week. actually you've, you've used a contradiction in terms because you've used Theresa May and having a vision. And let's be honest, I don't well. think anybody in the country thinks that <laughs> Theresa May has a vision. Um, she just She just trundles on 
sort of, you know, grunge-like day after day. There's no vision there. I mean, you know, what's, what's the big, bold aspiration that anybody can say, you know, she's lit the country up with? She wants to move on from Brexit because she has a social The whole country program. wants to move on I from mean, Brexit. I mean, well, I think the podcast wants to move on from Brexit. But it's hardly a vision, is it? I mean, you know, to, she has she, a social where's, where's program. The huge she keeps optimism. saying, I have this duty to serve the country... A duty, a duty is not a vision. A, a vision. a vision is a graphic picture that we're headed towards. It's something that inspires and motivates people in a company, people in government, people in the country. And there is absolutely zero of that out of this Prime Minister and this Cabinet. Well, yes, and, and Chancellor the Secretary, I have to add. I look forward to Esther's vision. OK, we've, we're coming to a close, although I could do this all day. Um, final thoughts. What will we be talking about this time next week? What will have happened I think exactly the same. The same thing. Exactly the same thing. I was hoping you were going to say this time next year, but next time, uh, this time next year, what will happen? We'll be we'll crash. Sorry, we won't have crashed out. We've bounced out. We will have. We will have skipped out with joy, with enthusiasm, hopefully under a new leader. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you what will happen a week after Brexit happens. Everyone is going to say, "What was all the fuss about?" Life's going on. <laughs> Things are the same as they were before. Yeah, there's still beer the in the point. pubs. Exactly. There's still Mars bars on the shelves. It, What's not to like? You know, nothing's going to change. It's taken, you know, it's taken us 40 years to get into this, this position. And it's a very gradual thing. You know, it's like being on this daily treadmill. You don't notice the change daily. But, you know, after 40 years, you suddenly work out that you're, you know, in this rut. And it'll take us a long time to unwind from it and, you know, come out of all the regulations. But it's not going to be a sudden thing that happens the day after Brexit or the week after Brexit where we're going to say oh my god look how our lives have changed it'll be slow but uh, so I you know I think people will be quite surprised after we've left that actually life's just carrying on as normal and you know we really didn't get need to get so angsty about all this because you know it's just gonna it's just gonna carry on and everything will be fine business as usual brilliant well thank you very much it's been a pleasure having you here Thank you for listening to Brexit The Final Countdown. If you like what you heard, make sure you click subscribe. And if you really enjoyed it, you could always leave us a review.